This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to save 15% on all wireless headphones. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is the thing that brings us all together on these episodes, we cover more than just what happens on the run. We learn the whys behind the runs, the decisions people have made to get where they are today, and how getting sweaty has factored in. Now, I am thrilled, honored, and a little giddy to get to introduce today's guest because today I am joined by the legend, Shalane Flanagan. Shalane is a former professional runner, arguably one of the greatest and best loved of our time, turned Bowerman Track Club coach, race broadcaster, two-time New York Times bestselling cookbook author, and the most recent addition to her impressive list of titles and accomplishments, new mom to one-month-old Jack Dean. Shalane won the silver medal in the 10,000 meters at the 2008 Summer Olympics. She represented the United States in the marathon at the 2016 Olympics, and she won the 2017 New York City Marathon. Wildly impressive accomplishments worthy of dominating any conversation, but for a long time, in spite of all that, Shalane found herself constantly fielding one question from just about everyone. When are you going to have kids? In this conversation, Shalane talks about how she reacted to that for so long, both out loud in response to people and internally. Very different responses there, by the way. She talks about making big life decisions, about her decision to retire in 2019, and about why she wanted to transition to coaching when she stopped racing. She opens up about the adoption process. She talks about what it was like meeting and bringing home baby Jack. We get into it all here, people. So without further ado, Shalane Flanagan. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the Alley on the Run show, a woman who truly needs no introduction, Shalane Flanagan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Allie. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show here, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to chat. <laughs> Yay. All right, we start things nice and easy with a nice gentle warm-up. All I need from you is to tell everyone who you are where you're from, and what you do. As I just said, you need no introduction. We'll give, we'll give everyone one in case there's one person listening who isn't sure. So who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Okay. My name is Shalane Flanagan. I am a new mom to a one-month-old. His name is Jack Dean Edwards. Um, I was a professional athlete for 15 years, a four-time Olympian, New York City Marathon winner, um, Olympic medalist and now a professional coach of the Bowerman Track Club. So much good stuff to get into. The first thing I want to know is simple. What is something that's making you happy right now? <laughs> Sleep and <laughs> my, and, but at the same time, uh, uh, Jack, my, my newborn uh, son. So happy to have him in my life. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. Please feel free to post 400 photos of him a day so that we can all <laughs> live vicariously through you. I feel like in times like 
We'll talk about the timing of when he came into your life, but for the rest of the world, he came into our lives at a perfect time when just the world was looking pretty gray and pretty grim. And then you came to us and posted this beautiful photo announcing that you were parents. And so, you know, we all thank you for bringing him into the world, for showing us this beautiful little man that we get to see. (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you for indulging me and um, sharing about him. He just, he brings us so much joy, my husband and I, that I just, yeah, I felt like, I feel like I could share a million photos a day. I'm trying to have the restraint because obviously every parent thinks that their child is the best, but I truly feel so, so incredibly lucky to have him in our lives. And especially right now, it's just The silver lining for us 100% is that we have a lot of time to give him right now. And it's, it's, um, it's an incredible experience to think that we get to raise him and to be a part of his life. So, um, yeah, thank you for indulging me with all the photos. (laughs) We have, I, I, I take a million photos a day and he started to do this thing where he wears a hat and he like pulls it down. And I think that's his sign of like too many photos. So (laughs) yeah, I love it. Well, don't practice restraint. No one is thinking like, oh, she should post fewer baby photos. We love it. Keep it coming. No restraint needed. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about this first month of new motherhood. I know this is such a common question, but what has surprised you most so far? Um, Well, you know, I feel like I've been studying for this role of my life. (laughs) So I feel like I've, I've taken a lot of notes. I've watched so many parents and, you know, little things that I'm like, Ooh, I, I want to do that. Or I want to do this well. And, um, so I feel like it's honestly been smooth, not because, not because of my note taking, but he's just an easy baby, to be honest. Um, he's just really good. But I think one of the big things is like, it shocks me how many diapers we go through on a daily basis and how often if I'm not quick enough, and I think I'm pretty quick, but if I'm not quick enough, he is just spraying the whole room or himself (laughs) with his urine. But uh, I mean, I heard that about little boys and I have a younger brother, but I do not remember the amount of peeing that goes on um, when a diaper comes off. So that's been kind of fun. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're they're so dependent on you. I mean, they need you for everything, which uh, I'm actually really loving. I love that he needs me so much. So. All right. So when it comes to the peeing, who did it happen to first, you or your husband? Who had the first like traumatic diaper changing experience? It was my husband. He was nice. like screaming from his, the bedroom, like just like, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa, you know, and I was like, what is going on in there? It made me panic. And then I realized he would just christening the, his own bedroom. So it's all good. Amazing. <laughs> Tell us about that. That name, Jack Dean, it's such like a good, classic, strong name. Where did it come from? My husband, I love good, classic names. And um, so Jack is my grandfather, Jack Flanagan. Actually, there's John Stephen Flanagan's running my family. And my brother is the fifth from Ireland, John Stephen Flanagan. So, but they all go by a different first name. So my grandfather is John Stephen Flanagan. My father is John Stephen Flanagan. My brother is... But my grandfather went by Jack and he was my hero growing up, adored him. You know, we we joked there was that there's a story tale, child story of the house that Jack built. And I thought my grandfather could do anything, everything. You know, he would, um, you know, lift me up with literally his pinky. I thought he was the strongest, smartest, coolest man alive. And so 
I knew from a young age that if I ever had a son, I would name him Jack. And I'm grateful my husband obliged in uh, that rule for my life. <laughs> and so that's that's Jack, the first name. And then Dean is actually after Dean Smith, the great coach, D Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina, the men's basketball coach. Um, my husband was a huge fan of Dean Smith growing up. He went to his basketball camps and he just felt like he was widely known and authentically, truly a great late leader, teacher, most importantly, a teacher. All of his athletes just adored the man. And when I was in college, he took the time to write me a handwritten note and encourage me in my athletic career. And I never forgot it. And I don't know, there was something special about the man. And we just felt like he's just a great mentor leader. And we just loved the qualities that Dean Smith embodied. And we felt that was a great middle name to go along with Jack. What a great story. Someday you're going to sit down with him and tell him the story of his name. And that <laughs> makes me like yeah. weirdly emotional since I know that he's not my child. I am aware of that. Uh, but that's so sweet to think about. Yeah, no, I, I I love the meaning behind it. I think it's a great, strong name. And um, yeah, it's the, the first step in life, right? <laughs> to have a good, good strong name. <laughs> love it. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about you and your husband, Steve. How are you navigating this new phase of life together? It's a divide and conquer. It's our teamwork is at an all time full throttle high. I feel like we have done a good job of being you know, that's how we met in college. We were teammates actually at the University of North Carolina. So I think that's the foundation of our relationship is teamwork. And we've carried it over into my career where he really helped me. He was my agent. He would train with me sometimes and just a huge support system for me to be able to pursue what I wanted to pursue athletically. And now we have Jack in our life. And again, it's a lot of teamwork. And allowing each other to have space and time to do things that we're passionate about and make each other great parents and try to complement each other. So there's been a lot of dividing and conquering because um, there's a lot of attention that needs to be put into this little man and we love giving him attention. So yeah, it's, you know, just like the feedings, the blessing right now is um, that for us, we're able to divide the feedings at night um, whereas with a natural birth and breastfeeding, that wouldn't be possible or, or less likely. So, um, having that to be able to lean on my husband for that through the night, I feel like I can't complain at all about being tired because we do help each other. But I think it's just, we're on like high alert because we're responsible for him and we want to do a great job. So I feel like even when we are like off the hook for feeding, I feel like we both are still awake <laughs> because we want to help each other. Um, but yeah, trying to provide space and time for each other to do things, um, for, for ourselves has been really key. So since we are in these, um, you know, unprecedented times, I wonder how many times a day I still say unprecedented times, <laughs> but with yeah. these unprecedented times, who from your family has been able to see him or meet him or be around at all? What's that looked like for your family? Yeah, we haven't, um, you know, allowed many people into our home, to be honest, um, just given the situation. But the state of Oregon is actually in really great shape in terms of COVID um, numbers. And uh, the state is slowly loosening um, and opening up. But 
one constant in our life has been my parents. And so we see them almost daily. And we just so happened to move in advance in a, of the arrival of Jack. We decided last minute that we wanted to move to a better home for him. So that happened to be 400 meters down the road from my parents. So, 400 meters. You would yeah. measure it in 400 meters, Shalane. Yeah. It's, it's pretty exact. I'm not going to lie. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's a little five minutes shimmy up and down the road to each other's house. Um, so they have been a constant from day one in Jack's life. And they are a great resource. And, you know, I decided that we should move because I thought I would be going to Japan this summer with athletes in the Olympics. And I thought I can't abandon my husband to take care of Jack solo. So the closer we are to my parents, the better off we would be. So the whole move was for Jack and um, in anticipation of the Olympics. But in the end, I look at how we arranged our life and I feel so lucky to have their support. It's great. Um, and then my sister only lives like six miles away um, with my nephew and her husband. So they've been um, a constant circle uh, that we've exposed Jack to, but not too many people have seen Jack yet. So it's slowly integrating um, him into the real world here. <laughs> okay, so what's it going to look like when things fully open up that first Bowerman Babes practice when you roll up with Jack? Are, is anyone going to get any <laughs> running done that day? <laughs> uh, I think it's good. he's going to enhance their running. He's going <laughs> to just set the tone for the day. Uh, the boss man will show up and lay down the law, give a few cuddles and coos, and we'll send them off on their way. Um, so yeah, I think Jack, uh, the girls and you know the women are just really excited to meet him and and be able to spend some time with him. So yeah, they're in Utah right now, training hard, but they'll be back basically in a month um, to do some hopefully some races or time trials. We're gonna see what that looks like, but when they get back, I think they'll get some good quality Jack time. Oh my gosh, that'll be so fun! Talk about that kid is gonna grow up so so loved and showered with attention. Lucky kid. Yeah, lots of girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to go back in time and talk a bit about the adoption process, however much you are are willing to share with us. And I believe you said that Jack came into the world earlier than expected. And so I'd love to talk a bit about adoption and that being the road that you and Steve chose to pursue and, and what you can tell us about that. Yeah, we, I think we've, well, I guess it's more on my end because of my career. I didn't know what would be available to me by the time I was done really being highly competitive. Um, so that being said, I think I've always was, uh, regardless of whether I would was able to have my own children or not, I always wanted to adopt. So we started pursuing this a while ago and in fact did foster care and other avenues of taking care of children um, before you know the full adoption. But it's been a long process. I've known for a long time, but I think it just was overwhelming to me and I didn't know where to start and how to go about it and what type of an adoption I wanted. And it was, it was totally overwhelming. So I did a lot of homework for a lot of years, talked to a lot of people, a lot of great resources, and finally dialed in what I felt like Stephen and I wanted. Um, and we vacillated, went back and forth with whether we drop older children and infant. And I think we just settled. We settled with Choice Adoptions, which is actually a local agency here. And having them to be able to guide us and help us was really great resource as opposed to some entity that wasn't, you know, here in Portland. Um, so really 
really loved our experience with choice. Um, and we settled on infant just because we didn't want to miss out on the whole process of parenting. And we wanted to experience, uh, you know, the, the hardships and the joys of, of in- infancy. And, um, we wanted the whole, the whole experience. Um, but so that being said, you know, we for sure would look to even adopt more children down the road. I think we'll just do a few months at a time here and then um, maybe even look into adopting more children. Um, we'll see. But yeah, it was very overwhelming. We applied in 2016 or we started to gather basically all of the information and all of our paperwork on our end, which is lengthy background checks, uh, everything you can imagine. They want to know exactly everything about you, which is great, but it's just extensive. Um, and then from there, it just took time just because with my career, I felt like things got put a little bit on the back burner with certain buildups. And I wasn't in Portland to be able to do some of the classwork that I had to go through. Um, so we had to kind of wait for the timing of that. So when it was all said and done, we didn't hand everything in till literally this past summer in 2019. And then was contacted by our agency in, I believe, January that a mother had chosen us because basically you create a profile and a book about yourself. And then these prospective birth moms um, basically pick you. And then you get a chance, obviously, to as uh, the parents to say you want to move forward um, and meet them or, you know, you would prefer to just wait for a different, you know, opportunity. Um, and I think my always my greatest fear with adoption was just um, just an unhealthy uh, mother and an unhealthy baby. That was always my my greatest fear. Um, we really lucked out in that we had an exceptional woman choose us. I, it's just like a dream. I can't, I couldn't have dreamed of a better situation basically. Um, and we have a great relationship with Jack's birth mom and yeah, she's gonna hopefully be a part of Jack's life quite a bit. We have learned that that's actually what's healthiest for, um, adoptive children. So Jack will likely get to know his birth mom pretty, pretty well. Um, as long as she's, she's very driven, uh, woman. So I'm not sure at some point she's going to be very busy with her career. So we're not sure how much they'll be able to get to see each other, but, um, we're hopeful that we'll stay in contact quite a bit. So really an incredible experience. Like the whole process was very emotional. Um, you know, having such a great relationship with the birth mom, it made it even like a deeper appreciation just to know, you know, that she was trusting us with Jack's life and providing this wonderful, um, you know, opportunity to provide more than she could provide for him at the moment. Um, Just it's a lot of responsibility, but one that I'm so excited to step up to the plate for. Oh, that is amazing. Were (laughs) you there? When did you meet Jack for the first time? Yeah, so our our birth mom, um, we were able to actually arrive the day that he was born and within hours and then literally within hours, he was within in our home. So he arrived like two and a half weeks earlier than we expected. So we got the phone call that morning um, and we thought, oh, well, you know, basically we we may have like 24 hours before he actually arrives. Um, For some reason in our head, I think we were thinking it was going to just be a long drawn out birth and a long process. And no, he, uh, he <laughs> arrived within that phone call. He arrived within like the hour of the phone call that we received. So 
Um, my husband's like, oh, I'll go for a run. I'll go do this. I'll do that. And I'm like, oh, you should probably hang tight. We should maybe just wait. And before you knew it, they were like, nope, you need to come over. And um, Jack's here. So yeah, basically within him being born, he was like born about nine in the morning. I was holding him probably by like 12, 12 in the afternoon. And then he was in our car about 2.30 or 3. <laughs> and he was in our house about 3.30, which was wild to wake up and have it go so quickly like that. So it was just a really healthy birth process. Um, but I was the only one allowed to go in and um, meet him uh, just because of COVID. Um, Stephen couldn't come in with me. They were limiting the amount of people that were um, allowed in the birthing center. We weren't in a hospital, hospital, so it was a little different setup. Well, there's a whirlwind day for you. My goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you were on the Growth Equation podcast earlier this week, which was fantastic. And you talked about dealing with the pressure of having children when you were still competing and competing at the absolute highest level, no less, but that people were constantly asking if you were going to have kids and and not just people like in your own families, people on planes, total strangers. Yeah. And I would love to talk a little bit more about that because I think that's something that so many women can relate to. We're, of course, we're not all Olympians and New York City Marathon winners, but we all, I think, at some point have that person in our life who says, hey, when are you going to have kids? Are you going to have kids? Or, hey, you're 30. Aren't you going to have kids yet kind of thing? I would love to talk a little bit more about how you handled that both internally and externally. Yeah, I think that's a topic that's not maybe talked about enough, to be honest, because I mean, I don't know if my experience is common or not, but the amount of um, cultural <laughs> pressure um, to basically just do it all like they I, I feel like sometimes when I get pressure in different aspects, it's like okay, yeah, I'm trying to win major city marathons. I'm trying to win Olympic medals. I'm trying to do something really big in my career. Um, I'm trying to write New York selling, you know, New York Times bestselling cookbooks with my co-author. I'm trying to do a lot. And I love what I do so much. Like, it's so fulfilling. Um, but there was always like this deep yearning to be a mother. But I just didn't feel like I would enjoy trying to pursue my athletics at the same time as having a child. And maybe that's not like popular to, to say that. Um, but I just, I think I know myself well enough and what I'm capable of and what would make me happy. And I think I would feel just a lot of guilt at times, really torn and just probably not enjoy um, my job and my running as much just because I feel, um, that I'm very much an all-in person <laughs> and I may be not as good at multitasking as I would hope to believe, but I think I just, I know that about myself and I think knowing yourself is the key and just being authentic about what you're capable of and what makes you happy. And so while I was wanting for a long time to be a mother, it was almost like a stabbing pain in the heart when people would ask me on planes or strangers, um, like about children, because it's not that I didn't want them. Um, in my life. It just, I just didn't feel like I was capable of giving my all um, at that time to both. So I just, I feel like I made the right decision for me um, and where I'm at. I, I love that I can give him so much attention. Like I really enjoy it. And having to pursue athletics um, at the same time um, with having a newborn, I just, 
I just, I, I think about what I would do right now with just being fatigued. And I just don't think I would, I would enjoy it or have fun the way I was having fun. So I just, I feel relieved. Um, but yeah, the society is strange in that, um, there's always like, it's like they want you to do everything. And I'm like, I'm not capable of everything all at once. And so I know myself enough to know that the timing was kind of important. And as much as we like to think we're in control of timing, <laughs> we're, we're probably not. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I just, I knew that I was going to have to wait till I was a little bit older um, for children to be in my life. And now I like want 10 more. So hopefully that happens too, but um, hopefully I haven't run out of to too much time, but <laughs> yeah, that's just where I was at. And, um, you know, people questioning sometimes definitely, it definitely hurt. I was, you know, taken aback sometimes by, by some of the questions I got. So what do you say? Are you just like, well, you know what? Here's my laurel wreath. Here's my silver medal. Do you want to talk about this? Or like, how do you, I, I'm trying to decide like, what would I do in that scenario? Would I be sassy? And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. I would just like clam up and feel sad. And then later I'd be like, this is what I should have said. But how did you respond to people like that? Yeah, you know, I think I I just said, you know, mother, I have so much respect for motherhood and I don't take it lightly. And yeah, I'm just I'm not I guess I'm not capable of of trying to uh, win medals and and be a great mother at the same time. I just felt like it wasn't within me personally. And so at the time, I probably was just very casual. And like you said, like shook it off. But then deep down, I'm like crying inside. And then when I got home, had a conversation in my head of what I would have really said. But <laughs> I was probably Every time. <laughs> very, very polite and shy about it. But then deep down, you know, just crying inside. So I'm like, if they only knew how much I do want children, I just feel like this is where I'm at in my life. And this is, I know myself well enough to know that this is what I'm capable of at the moment. So. <laughs> well, and it's such a sensitive topic too. Like you never know when you're asking someone a question like that, which I'm just like, just don't ask that question in general. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you never know, like you never know if someone has been trying to get pregnant for years, if someone just yeah. suffered a loss, like you just never know. So this is like a PSA mid episode to say, Hey, everyone, mind your business and we're <laughs> yeah. all doing our best. Yeah. You know what? And part of me just, ha I, I, I feel like people love their kids. And so they just want that joy for other people. So I tried to always spin it like, you know what? They just want me to feel the joy that they feel, you know, about their children. They want that for me. And so I appreciate it. But yeah, trying to pressure me into it and it's, just, it's not going to work. In fact, I'll probably do the opposite if you try to pressure me into something. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny too. This is not a conversation that we have with I can't think of a single male athlete who's asked the question of, do you want children? Or, hey, how will having kids factor into the four-year cycle of your career and Olympic years? And so I think for women to feel any pressure that it's in any way selfish to pursue your career before having children is bonkers. And no one should feel that way. And so again, another PSA for anyone <laughs> listening, pursue your dreams, do what you do, what's fulfilling, and um, and feel no guilt around that. Amen. Yep. Amen. All right. So <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the retirement if we can. October 21st, 2019 is the day that Shalane Flanagan posts on Instagram that photo that we can all picture yourself at the finish line of the 2018 New York City Marathon. You're holding the American flag. You had just placed third that year. And you said that was the final race of your professional career. You were retiring. So how did it feel to hit like 
What does Instagram say? Post photo. How did it feel to hit <laughs> post photo on that one? Send. I was ready for it, to be honest. I took the whole year to rehab um, knees and trying to figure out what I really wanted deep down. It was a very uncomfortable year. I called it like my year of purgatory. It was kind of hanging in limbo where I wasn't sure if running was still within me, you know, health wise. Um, but I felt this like yearning and like this unsettled, like feeling that I needed to be in coaching. But I, I had a couple voices. And so trying to sift through what was genuinely what I wanted was hard because there were a lot of voices of what I should or should not do with my, my life and career moving forward and trying to get down to the heart of it. And I, but I always felt like I knew I was getting way more excited about coaching than I was about my running. And I didn't want to hang on kind of to the point where I wasn't enjoying my running anymore. And I felt like I was starting to kind of feel that way because I think the injuries were inducing um, some pain that just made f running not fun because um, running is already painful. And then you put an injury on top of it and running through it is just takes the joy out of it for me and for most people. Um, and I think when I finally was able to share my intentions and where my heart and my head were heading, it felt so much better to just feel, I felt free sending that, just being like, these are my intentions. This is what I want to do. Because then I feel like the world and your life aligns when you set out those intentions. And the year of, you know, floating around in purgatory is what I call it. Just, it didn't feel good. I didn't, I felt like I was being deceptive. Like, oh, I am running or no, I'm not running. And I just like being authentic as possible and not sharing what I want to do and my intentions I felt like was misaligning in my heart. And so that send felt really good. <laughs> That's how you know it's the right move, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about there were all these voices when you're debating something like that, a huge decision like retirement, and there's people saying, yeah, now's the time. Or there's people saying like, no, go for one more Boston or New York or whatever it is. Which voices, whose voices matter to you and whose do you kind of tune out? Yeah, those that obviously are closest to me and have been a part of my team from day one, those are the voices that are, matter most. But when those, when that team is in disagreement, I've got, you know, half my team saying this and half my team saying that, then it's like, uh-oh, okay, <laughs> now, now I'm screwed. <laughs> um, because yeah, and then trying to sift out like what's in my own heart because this is my this is my team. You know, I anyone that's that's done something special or great or achieved something big, it it's not that one person. Obviously, there's a huge team, and so this is my team that's helped me achieve my dreams. And to have them be divided on what I should be doing with my life was very difficult. I felt so torn because I, you know, innately women are people pleasers, and so you want you want to a degree please yourself, but also please the people around you because you care about them. And so to have on one hand, let's say, you know, my dad and my husband are like, Hey, let's, let's, it's been good. It's been fun. We've loved watching you, supporting you, but you know what? Let's, let's go to another chapter. Let's do family. Let's do coaching. Let's take more time, you know, to take vacations as a family. Let's, let's do some other fun adventures, which sounds great. And then I have, you know, Jerry Schumacher, my trusted coach um, over the last 10 years and my mentor and um, my sponsor, my major sponsor who supported me all these years, Nike, 
kind of saying like, no, you still got more in you. And, you know, it's easy to get excited when other people are excited about your running. So you have someone whispering in your ear, like, no, there's still more. You could still win boss and you could still do big things like it's not done. And to have those two conflicting because both both options are great. Like that's a great problem to have. Right. You know, people want you to keep running and going after big goals and dreams and hopefully inspiring uh, work that you're doing. And then the other side is saying like, no, let's pivot and let's go somewhere else. Um, and so trying to sift and like decide like what what is really going to make me happy and what am I going to do a good job at? So trying to get to the heart of that was tricky and not wanting to disappoint other people um, was hard. I, I didn't like being in that position to not have everyone on the same page. So I'm, it's interesting to me that Jerry wanted you to keep going. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, you know, who, who doesn't want to see Shalane keep running forever? We love seeing you out there. But when you came to the decision of no, now is the time I'm retiring, but I want to coach. I'm going to coach for Bowerman. You're going to bring me on. Here's how it's going to work. How did you? take that conversation and I don't want to say convince him because I'm sure that he knew it was a good idea, but what did that conversation look like and how did you approach him to say, here's what's happening, let's do this? Yeah, I think ultimately why he wanted me to make sure, why he kept questioning my retirement is because he just wanted to make sure I wasn't wishing it away. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you want to kind of like fast forward and get through it. Like, he knew I was struggling a little bit with injuries, but I think he was like, you know, once you go down the road of saying you're retired, like you're not coming back. So don't wish this away. Make sure it's really genuinely what you want. Um, but I, he planted the seed more with me about coaching probably than I did. Like, I think a while ago, he kind of like threw out the idea of like once the women's group started to develop and really take off, he's like, one day he's like, you're going to be in charge of this. Like kind of joking, like this is too much work. They're high maintenance, which is not true. They're so easy. They're so coachable. The women, it's like a joke. But um, I think he kept just, you know, kind of planting that little seed and it just grew like that seed grew from years, years ago. And the more I saw our, our women's team develop into this world class group, the more excited I got about that than I was about my own running and to see them be basically the best in the world training together and, you know, sparring every day. That to me, I mean, I get, I get so much joy going to their practice and watching them work hard. I'd rather grind, do the groundhog grinding it out with their training than actually going to the races. Like I enjoy it so much. Um, but yeah, he was very supportive in that, but I think he just wanted to make sure I wasn't wishing away something that I couldn't get back. Let's take a quick break here to talk about our sponsor, Aftershocks. Every week on the Alley on the Run show, I talk about my favorite wireless headphones, the Aftershocks Aeropex. I've been talking about these headphones for two years now, but I want to go back in time to when I first started using them. Now, back when I was a new runner, I was someone who quickly realized I needed a beat constantly. I found I loved running while listening to music. That has not changed, and so I needed headphones. And I found some pretty cheap headband-style Sony headphones. They sold for $9.99, and it was pretty much a guarantee that I would run in them exactly six times before they would break. But I kept buying them because I had a problem, a very real problem, runners. They were the only ones that stayed on my head and that weren't an earbud or a big, bulky Beat by Dre situation. 
earbuds do not fit in my freakishly small ears. And as cool as the bulky Beats looked while strolling through an airport, they couldn't cut it on the run. So when I discovered Aftershocks, I could not believe my problems were solved. They stayed on my head. They weren't earbuds. They definitely weren't bulky. And they were wireless. I had never run without cords and wires before. And whoa, game changer, run changer, life changer. Yeah, I went there. I've never looked back. I've also never needed a replacement. Unlike those sad Sonys, my Aftershocks have outlasted me on every single run. That's why I talk about them every week, and it's why I think you should try them out too. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com. You will get 15% off any wireless headset. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for 15% off. Yay! Let's get back to Shalane Flanagan. So what was the first day that you showed up to practice, not as Shalane, everyone's teammate, but as Shalane, the coach, and what did it look like? Was there like a new coach's jacket? Did they play (laughs) entrance music as you walked in? Did everyone bow down? Like paint the picture for us. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, they all knew that those were the intentions over the last year. I called it like my internship. Um, But when it was finally made official was kind of funny because I think I showed up to the track maybe the next day. And I think it was Evan Jager who like wrapped me up in a huge hug and he like said like something about like, you know, welcome coach or started calling me coach. And just, it felt weird to be honest. But um, (laughs) I think as time has gone on since that first official day of being a coach, it's felt a lot more natural because as the team has evolved, we're getting younger athletes and they know me strictly as a coach now, whereas I still have some athletes that were teammates and we did a lot of great training together and there's mutual level of respect. Um, but it is a little bit of a different dynamic than when we have these younger athletes that come in and I'm just straight away a coach and was never really a teammate. It's a different dynamic. Um, and so it's like a little awkward and it was a little awkward and uncomfortable, but everyone was so excited for me and very supportive. And yeah, it's, it's been a good transition. Well, it's fun to hear you say that because of the a couple of the Bowerman women that I've had on the show and have talked to and that I've asked and said, what's it like having Shalane as a coach now? And they, of course, love it. And they love having a woman coach, which I think is so great to hear and and that they feel comfortable that they can go to you and say like, hey, I have really bad cramps today and that they feel comfortable <laughs> saying stuff like that. And so, you know, we, of course, love seeing more women coaches. And, you know, this is like a whole uh, next coming of the Shalane effect on the coaching side. I hope so. Yeah, I think um, you can't be what you can't see. And I think there's something that I have to offer and other female coaches have to offer that's different. Um, it just is what it is. We can offer different uh, level of communication, I think, and just relatability to female athletes specifically. Absolutely. So not every professional runner or not even every good runner is destined to become a coach. That's not the automatic next step in your career. For you, you said you felt this calling to go and start coaching. What is it that you bring to coaching? What is your outlook? And what does Shalane the coach look like? <laughs> well, I I realized that I, I mean, I've always been kind of a geek and a student of my sport. And so I was the kind of athlete that always paid attention to the workouts. 
and wanted to know why we were doing the workouts. It was probably a little annoying, to be honest, but I wanted to understand <laughs> what the point was because I guess some athletes just love to not know and understand and just move their body around the track or, you know, and, you know, turn left, uh, you know, as many times as they need to and be done with it. Um, but I, I guess I wanted to cerebrally like understand cause I felt like it made me a better runner. And I think in the end, I wanted to be able to apply that knowledge down the road to coaching. I want to understand the point and the purpose behind everything. Um, so yeah, like I think as a coach now, I think what I offer that's unique is I can authenticate and understand exactly what the athletes are going through. If I ask them to do 10 by a K in three minutes, I understand exactly what that feels like. I know how hard that is and what kind of fitness that requires. I understand the fatigue. I understand the stressors. And speaking of stress, I feel like that's, that's my job as a coach is to make things as least like the least amount of stress for our athletes. I try to take away the stress so that they can just do their job. And that's to, take care of themselves and run fast. So I'm always trying to step in and negate and make sure that they have an environment that's conducive to do their job. Um, so, you know, like they're going to be in Park City. And so I've stepped in to make sure that they have the proper care while they're there, um, you know, to have therapy, uh, trusted therapists that are safe. And, you know, with COVID, it's hard to find, you know, uh, reliable people that are willing to work with our athletes and it's clean and all that. So, you know, it's just like the little details make a big difference. And I found that as an athlete, just the little things really add up to be big things. And, um, yeah, just knowing that I care deeply about what they're doing. I think it takes it to another level when I've had coaches that show up on like the crummy days and are enthusiastic about what I'm doing and are excited, I feed or I fed off of that. And so I feel like that's what I try to do is show the athletes, like I'm into what you're doing. You're, what you're doing is hard. It's uncomfortable. You're away from your family sometimes. Um, and I'm into it and I'm here for you. And I think that makes, I think that's the, di the difference. It's not necessarily like, the actual workout that is like the big factor it's it's showing the athletes that you genuinely care about them as people beyond running fast and that helps them to actually run fast do you remember what was the first race that you attended with the team as a coach uh let's see when would have that been this winter we were kind of all over the place um I I wasn't in Boston when a bunch of our women broke records um, this winter, but I live vicariously through uh, a feed on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was at the Olympic trials as a coach for our men, um, but I feel like there was one before that, but I can't quite. Oh, I think a USA indoors was like the first time and I got like my official badge and it said like coach and all that. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> and what was, what's it like being on the sidelines? Obviously you are there with your athletes and you care deeply about them, but is any part of you wondering like, how would I have done in this race and sizing up the competition? Or are you all, all in on the coaching? I think I've been pretty good at compartmentalizing. I think I'm so content with how my career was. I have no regrets so I, I feel like I've been able to move on really well. I think 
when I do the comparison is I'll compare maybe past workouts that I've done to our current athletes. So I can find out kind of, then it helps me gauge actually their fitness. Um, if I, and I don't verbally tell them maybe like a key workout. I may be like, listen, when I set the American record in the 5k, you know, I did this workout. And so this is telling me you're in great shape. You're in better shape than I was. So you can run faster things like that, I feel like I've been able to add um, just that boost of confidence. If they know that they're doing similar work that I've done or better, then they step on the starting line pretty excited to go race. But in terms of comparing myself, uh, I've, I've, like I said, I compartmentalize and I let them do their thing. And I don't really inject myself into the races at all anymore. All right. So you could have like your own line of Shalane Flanagan Barbies. I feel like there could be like the <laughs> Shalane 10K Barbie, Shalane Marathon Barbie, Shalane Coach Barbie. Like there's so many. <laughs> Shalane Mom Barbie, of course. But other than other than new mom, cookbook author Barbie, there's so many. I'm going to I'm going to call Mattel. Let's see if we can do this. But um, <laughs> okay. I want to talk about the commentating. Shalane commentator, Barbie. I am so excited that you are now in broadcasting. Let's talk about where that came from. Was that always a dream that you would be commentating races? And uh, you're a natural. You're awesome at it. Really? Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I would never in a million years have thought that I would enjoy commentating at all. I am a massively like introverted person. So to think that I could go on TV and talk for like two plus hours, especially at like marathons, um, it's a long day. Uh, I never in a million years would have thought I would have enjoyed it. But it's interesting. It's I, I don't know, maybe you can enlighten me why this is, but I love doing TV work and commentary and talking about other people as opposed to say someone wanted you or me to like come speak to people like a live crowd and talk about myself, I absolutely hate it. Like I get contacted a lot to come be a public speaker and you know, all that. I do not like it at all. I think it's because I get distracted by seeing people in the audience. And if they're not paying attention, all of a sudden I just like tense up and I'm like, oh, they're not interested. I'm so boring. I should just stop. Like I should get off the stage. What am I doing? So <laughs> for some reason, I do not like public speaking or talking about myself as much as when I'm in the booth and I get to do the play-by-play -play calls of a marathon and talk about the amazing athletes and just how much work they put in to be there and their background. It is so, so fun. And I love doing like geeking out and studying and doing homework. I mean, I think I stay pretty relevant with information, but you know, it's another deeper level in preparation. And it kind of, I like being thinking and using my brain and being able to hopefully accurately convey some inside insight that maybe, you know, the, the average commentator wouldn't know because they haven't run the streets of New York City or Boston or Chicago or, you know, I, I can authenticate and bring my level of uh, intimate knowledge to the masses. And that is fun to me. I'm like, what can I think of that people wouldn't know. What do I know that seems not like everyone knows, but they don't. I love trying to figure out what I can bring to the table. Well, that's why it's awesome. And that's why we, that's why we need you because for, you know, you, you've spent so many years running these races, not sitting at home watching them on TV, which is what many of us do. Or, or what I like to do is run the race, but also DVR it and then watch it after, which is fun and totally normal and a good use of a full day. But, um, <laughs> 
for so long, it's either a lineup of all men in that booth or we maybe get like one woman and it's not always a runner. It's maybe a newscaster. So it is so nice to have someone in there who, like you said, can speak to what's happening, can reflect on your experiences, who intimately knows the field. And so uh, is this something that you think you'll do for a while? Like, are we going to see you? Of course, we don't know what fall races will be, but let's just say at the next New York City Marathon, are we going to hopefully see you back in that booth? Oh, I hope so. I miss it. You know, I was going to be working with NBC in Boston this spring, and obviously that has been postponed till September and crossing all my fingers and toes that it happens in September. So I'll be there for that. Um, and then I have a great relationship with New York. So I imagine I will be back um, commentating for New York. And, you know, I've had some other opportunities um, to commentate. I think what I have maybe struggled with trying to figure out is finding a nice, happy balance between coaching and commentary because they do overlap. And I don't believe they're mutually exclusive, but I do have to make sure that the athletes always know they're the priority. So, you know, like world champs this past fall, um, I was asked to come commentate as well in Doha, but I just felt like as kind of someone who was trying to pursue coaching, I, I had to make sure my athletes knew that they were the number one priority and not uh, deviating, even though I know they'd be excited for me to be in the booth and talk about them and um, and the athletes and, you know, they makes them proud that I'm, I'm doing that. I just have to, I have to figure out a healthy balance of, um, coaching and commentary, but I, the hard part is I wish I had more opportunity to do commentary. Cause I think you kind of like anything in life, the more practice you get, you get in a flow in a state of flow of, of what you're doing. And so when I am removed from a lot of commentating, I find that I get a little bit more nervous. I feel like my preparation just feels a little more anxious and the more I do it, the more fun I have with it and I'm not so robotic. And so therefore, if I can get a little bit more of a flow, I would love to because I love doing it. It is really fun. I love it. Well, we love seeing you out there. All right. We need to talk about these cookbooks, Shalane. We are, uh, <laughs> we're very excited. Cookbook number three on the way. What can you tell us about it? Yes, this is going to be a fun one. It's called Rise and Run. And it's a breakfast heavy cookbook. It's all about rituals and the way to start your day or even maybe the night before set your intentions for the next day. So tips um, from myself um, and Elise and experts. I feel like I've met some incredible people throughout my career. And so we were able to incorporate their advice that they had given me. And now we get to put it in the book. Um, you know, we have uh, Brad Stolberg, um, who I just did a podcast with that you said you listened to The Growth Equation. He'll be part of it. Um, we have uh, a local Pilates woman here that's worked with our whole team. Um, my therapist throughout my career, Colleen Little. So we get to integrate a lot more information beyond the recipes. But don't get me wrong. The recipes are really good. And I'm actually going to be going to Bend on Sunday for about a week because Bend has opened up to another stage and we're allowed to go visit um, and be in small groups. So we will be meeting up, recipe testing, getting some great photos of us running um, and just some great, you know, new, new content. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some delicious, I think we shared one recipe. It's this lemon, chia, blueberry seed, whatever, uh, <laughs> messing up the name of it, but it's so good. It's like, it's a, it's a huge hit. Um, so yeah, lots and lots of good recipes coming. All right. Well, I heard that there might be a savory take 
on the superhero muffin coming soon. So what I need to know is of the existing superhero muffin varieties, which is your favorite? Oh, the existing. Um, I think the beet blueberry, which is maybe not super sounding, you know, doesn't sound amazing, but it's it's a favorite of mine. Yeah, the beet blueberry one. I love it. Well, I will let you know that I have made the carrot and apple one every single week for the past two and a half years. I started doing that when I was pregnant and I make a big batch. It la- it should last me for like three weeks and it usually lasts for about eight days. So that tells That's you where incredible. I'm at. Wow. I also... I put so many chocolate chips in them that my husband calls them my breakfast cupcakes. So <laughs> No shame in that at all. Exactly. I'm like, they're healthy. And he's like, you are dousing them in chocolate. And I'm like, but at their core, they're healthy. Yes, I totally support that. I, you know, Elise is like the healthier, the one of the two of the cooks. And so she's always like, Whenever we're recipe testing and we talk about whether we're going to include the option of chocolate chips, I'm always like, yes, yes, of course. And she's like, oh, like a quarter cup. I'm like, no, a half cup. What are you talking about? No, like, three cups. <laughs> yeah. She's like, the ratio is off, Shalane. I'm like, no, that's my ratio. So you, if you wow. want, you put a little asterisk and be like, Shalane's ratio is double that. So yes, I will yes. let my husband know. <laughs> she's, she's the healthier of the two of us. So yeah. <laughs> well, what I love too is that these cookbooks, yes, like you said, the recipes are amazing, but there's so much more to them. The backbone of these books, they've really been about fueling yourself properly and adequately. I want to know why is that something that's important to both you and to Elise? If you're fueling adequately and properly, I feel like life is just better. I, you know, my, my motivation was to aid my training and to be a healthier, happier runner that had more energy to give to my life, to the people around me, to my running, be it my, my best self. And, you know, at least the same thing, you know, her motivation originally was, um, to make sure that she was healthy enough to have children. And now she has two beautiful children. And now we get to turn around and test these recipes on her kids and make them happy and healthy. And um, cooking is kind of a was I, now with COVID, I don't think so, but it was kind of a lost art form. And seeing people get back in the kitchen during COVID has made my heart so happy to see people spending time with their kids and teaching them how to cook. Um, that's been a silver lining, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, your overall life is just better if you're eating great food. And it, the thing is, is there's a misconception that healthy food is bland and boring and it's not, it's delicious. Like you can make super healthy, great food and have it taste amazing. And I, on a daily basis, I'm making something from our cookbook and I feel so lucky that Elise entered my life and, and helped me discover the joy of truly cooking for myself and my family. And now my team and my athletes and, you know, people around the country and the world. It's very, very rewarding. Yeah. Well, we're all grateful for it. And for, and for those superhero muffins, can't get enough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We, we talk so much about the Shalane effect, which of course is a term that was coined by Lindsay Krause in the New York Times. She's been on the show before and we love her that you have this vision of lifting the women around you, of all getting stronger together, of, as you've said, of iron sharpening iron. And it's a really powerful visual, but I think it's so much more than that. It's something that you have really made a reality and it's a massive part of this legacy that you're continuing to build. 
I'd love to hear how reflecting on that makes you feel today. (laughs) I giggle at it because it's like so kind that Lindsay saw that. Um, It makes like she's very perceptive because I think when we're in the midst of whatever we're working on in our life, we just kind of put our head down. And I'm not sure that we're always conscious of what we're doing. I think there's just we do what we think is best. Uh, on a daily basis and make the best decisions to hold ourselves to high character. And, you know, I try to be a great leader, but I can't say it was like a conscious decision um, to, to build this group that we have here. I think it was just genuinely at first um, a need to help myself. And then that need made me realize how much joy I was getting out of uplifting other people and bringing them to the level that I, I expected for myself and to bring them up to that level and that confidence and see them just take off was an immense amount of joy. And then it, it wasn't totally selfish. Well, I guess in the end it, it all is selfish, but it, it does, it feels good to see other people succeed, especially if you've invested your time in them. And, um, so I, I laugh when like, when people talk about it, just because like, I was just being me. It's not like I set out on this like path of like, I'm going to be this, uh, you know, the Shalane effect. Like I just kind of laugh at it because it's so kind and exceeds anything I ever hoped that people would recognize me for. Like it's, it's the greatest feeling. I remember when I was sent the article by Lindsay and I sent it to my parents. Um, I texted it to them and I go, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Like Lindsay captured something that like, I didn't even know I was doing but she's right. I was doing that and I didn't even see it. So, um, yeah, if that's my legacy. That's, that's a good one. I'll take it. <laughs> that's a really good one. So do you know, like, do you know how loved you are? I, I have no like better, more eloquent way of asking that, but much in the same way that we just love Meb Kaflesky. We love everything about him and we just, you're mm-hmm. so loved in the industry and beyond. Do you know that? And do you feel that? Um. Well, yeah, I guess I do now. <laughs> You're telling me that. <laughs> uh, gosh, my head just got like 10 times bigger. But It um, should. I'll yes. walk out through the door and I'll go <laughs> play with Jack and he'll be like, you're not that cool. Um, no, but thank you. That makes me feel really good. I have a huge smile on my face um, because, you know, like people like Meb or, you know, it's having great role models. And like Meb and Dina were were my role models. Like I whether they knew it or not, like I always say, you never, you have no idea who you're having an effect on. And they probably at the time, me being a little punk out of college and making my first Olympic team in Athens when they both won their medals. I mean, I just looked up to them so much and I thought, oh, that's the way you do it. Like you, you want to be like them. And if you want to do great things, you have to conduct yourself like them. So, you know, I just have had obviously some some really great role models that have just shown me that that's how you should you should act. So thanks to Meb and Dina. <laughs> well, I think you are the only person on the planet who would refer to yourself as a little punk. I don't know anyone else who would ever call Shalane Flanagan <laughs> oh, a little I was, punk. I was a but... punk. Yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing there. I was, I was a goober, but it's cool. <laughs> I like Goober. That's cute. All right. To wrap things up, we are going to jump into some quick listener questions and our sprint to the finish. Before we do that, on the growth equation, which we've shouted out a couple times now, so everyone should absolutely go listen if they haven't yet. They were introducing you. And in the intro, they said, while no one has it all figured out, 
Shalane comes close. I look <laughs> at you and I'm like, hell yeah. Do you agree with that? I mean, I try. I tr well, I don't have it figured out. I, I never figured it out, but I at least try to, uh, to basically strive, you know, go for everything that I want in life. I'm, I'm definitely working on that. So <laughs> I love it. All right, let's dive into these. Uh, we're going to do some quick listener questions and then our sprint to the finish. And then we're going to get you back to that cute little baby of yours. Okay. All right. Courtney wants to know, what is your all-time favorite memory as a pro? Hmm. Jeez. Uh, probably after. No big deal. Just yeah. sum up your whole well, career. Well, there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> fortunately, there's a lot of good ones to sift through. Um, but I feel like people can relate to New York a lot um, for various reasons. So uh, one of my favorite memory, well, no, okay, I'm going to say two. When I won my Olympic medal in Beijing, China, it was so late at night because it was so hot. They had the races, like, I think I ran at like 11 p.m. And by the time I was cooling down after drug testing, it was like midnight and the stadium was completely empty. And my husband and I got to cool down in the Olympic stadium, just the two of us. But just felt really appropriate because he was like so hands on with my career and so helpful that he was able to share that moment with me and run on the Olympic track, cooling down at like midnight. And we couldn't find a ride to get back to the Olympic Village. And I ate McDonald's as my celebration dinner because that was the only thing that was open. So um, that's a good one. And then uh, for some reason, it's like centered around food. I'll just... I'll never forget in New York after I finally got back to my hotel room, my parents had the classic, you know, boxes of New York pizza slices and a bunch of like CM Adams beer and just celebrating with them and seeing how happy my parents were just to know that, you know, I'd been through, you know, some moments where uh, I just felt like I didn't, I didn't get what I, I felt like uh, I, I should have earned um, in those moments and to f just feel that like weight off my shoulders and just excitement to actually have fulfilled that goal that we all set out to do probably when I was a little kid watching my dad run Boston. It's like that dream that they helped foster in me and then to have it come true and have them be there was just like incredible. So uh, I love that you won New York and then still went and drank that good Boston beer, the Sam Adams. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Hometown yeah, sorry. girl. <laughs> sorry, sorry, New York. Yeah. Well, my parents... <laughs> My parents bought the beer, okay? No, but um, no, I actually have a great relationship with Sam Adams, so I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to knock it. They're actually one of my sponsors, so. <laughs> yeah. Fair, then fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Victoria wants to know, because you posted some books the other day, she says, Shalane, what book should I read right now? OMG, she needs to read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It Wait, is... you read it already? Well, when no, you were I'm on... like... Oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm like it's like I'm savoring each page. Like I'm like taking a bite every night and just letting it like marinate in my mouth. It's so, so good. It is. I, have you read it yet? It's incredible. No, not yet. I just ordered it because again, I listened to you. Everyone's talking about it. And then you yeah. were on their podcast and you said you were going to start reading it. So that's why I was yeah. like, you've already read it in that no, short time. I haven't read it. I haven't read it fully. But that's it. It's so, so good. I feel like I could quote everything in the book. Like I'm underlining like everything. I'm like, I should just not stop underlining because I'm underlining everything. So it's yeah. like silly, right? <laughs> you know? So yeah, great. Paige asks, she said, anytime I need a feel good cry, I look up your clip of your win in New York. Do you ever do this? 
<laughs> maybe I should start. I haven't yet, but maybe I should start. Um, no, but I was like so deliriously happy after winning New York. I would, I watched that replay of that finish line. I can't even tell you how many times in that, like the first week after. Yeah, I was so deliriously happy. I was smiling in my sleep. I had like a headache from smiling so much. I have way more wrinkles because of it. And yeah, whenever <laughs> it's like I replayed that finish line over and over and over. But I haven't, I haven't in a while, but I, I probably should. Oh, yeah. I mean, has Jack seen it yet? I think he needs to. Oh, he needs to. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll yeah. wait till he can actually like register like objects. I, I think his eyes aren't quite there yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's never too early for screen time. He's ready. <laughs> okay. okay. I think I think that's what they say. I don't know. Okay. 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 Amanda asks, what piece of advice will you give your son when he is inevitably faced with expectations to be a runner? Oh, gosh. No, I think, you know, Stephen and I, we both were runners, but... Like, I feel like my parents were so good at doing this with me. I learned this from them is, um, and they were both runners. So that being said, two out of the, you know, out of three kids, only one of us was really uh, a runner and they threw all the other sports at us, supported us and almost in a way, like, didn't like allow me to run. They always kind of held me back. They're like, oh, no, I'll go swimming. Oh, no, go play soccer. So, you know. I think we are going to be really good at deflecting and throwing a lot of different sports or, you know, whether it's piano or tap dance, gymnastics, whatever it is, like we are just excited that if he has some type of passion, we're all there for it. We will be like the super parents, whatever he's excited about. <laughs> I love it. Um, Kara says, please just tell her we love her and thanks for the superhero muffins. No question, just that we love her and thanks for the muffins. <laughs> yeah, superhero muffins are lifelines. They're so good. <laughs> All right. And I'm going to throw in a question here. I want to know what is the secret to a 13 second porta potty stop? <laughs> you have to, you basically. It's pulling to the side. You don't even take the, the shorts didn't come all the oh. way off. Pull to the, I'm an expert at peeing. Like that's like part of, it was like part of my job for 15 years is like learning how to pee quick and like <laughs> not fully take off all your clothes. So it's called pull to the side really quick. And I had to go really, really bad. I mean, I've never stopped in a marathon. I barely stop in training. Even if I have to go to the bathroom, I had to go so bad. So clearly it was just not not a good day for me <laughs> but 13 seconds maybe one of my greatest athletic achievements actually so yeah. i mean truly and i just <laughs> love that as soon as it happened twitter knew twitter was timing it and so that is very impressive and i hope that's in like your linkedin bio that in addition to all of your accomplishments um a lifetime spent learning how to pee quick yeah, i like that that's i like that too okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be a record out there for someday the stop at mile 13 in boston course you can yes. be under 13 seconds yeah all right well i have already kept you here for an hour we're gonna fly through just a couple of our favorite sprint to the finish questions if you're up for it okay i'll try all right what would your last meal on earth be <laughs> uh sushi favorite movie micho black Favorite TV show? Mm, right now, Working Moms. Oh, so good. Did you just start it or are you caught up? Uh, I know I haven't caught up, but I like nice. pee my pants laying in bed <laughs> laughing. It's great. Yeah. That's a good one. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Ooh, uh, Jared Leto. Ooh. Who, yeah. uh, where did you have your first real kiss? Uh, um, maybe an attic? <laughs> yeah, an Ooh. attic. 
<laughs> All right, you decide that you are going to start your own podcast, Shalane on the Run. Who is your first interview with? Oh, uh, gosh, that's a really hard question. There's so many options. I mean, if Jack is old enough to talk, I'll interview Jack about what he thinks about how his mom's doing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Do you remember what was your first AOL or AIM screen name? Oh gosh. I think it was Shao Flan. Yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> if you could take a class in anything, what would it be? Ooh, hip hop dance class for sure. Yes. Yeah. Oh, do it. I love that for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We end things here with a little self-confidence boost. Tell us three things that you love about yourself. Oh goodness. Uh, I think I'm pretty honest for better or worse. Um, I, what, is this supposed to be positive? You said, <laughs> yeah, three things you love about yourself. Okay. Um, uh, I can be very sassy again, positive or negative, maybe slightly passive aggressive at times. Um, <laughs> and, um, I work hard, but I think I love even harder. Oh, those are so good. The last thing we need from you, Shalane, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Ooh, get out uh, and in that, I mean, endorphins, like the feel good hormones, whatever that's flowing through you. That's the best part. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you break all kinds of uh, stroller world records out there. So <laughs> here's here's to running. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing so much with us, for being so generous with your time and for the everlasting inspiration. Oh, thank you, Allie. It was very fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Good stuff, right? Thank you so much for being here for this episode of the Allie on the Run show. And thank you, of course, to Shalane for spending more than an hour chatting with me, with all of us, and for being so gracious with your time and your energy. I know that when Annie, my daughter, was a month old, I was a wreck who couldn't form a sentence, let alone talk for an hour. So power, as always, to Shalane for being a champion in every sense of the word. All right, let's wind this thing down, shall we? Closing statements time. If you're enjoying the Alley on the Run show, which I so hope you are, here's how you can support the show, support me, and support this community. First, you want to make sure you subscribe to the show. Don't log on to your favorite app and search for the show every week. Subscribe, and those episodes will pop right up for you as soon as I upload them. Then if you're so inclined, consider leaving a review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Those make me so happy. And when new listeners are learning about the show, that's where they tend to go. They read the reviews. So chime in, let people know what you like and what keeps you coming back every week. You can follow along on social media. You'll find me at Allie on the Run one on Instagram and Twitter. I've got the Allie on the Run Facebook page, which is mostly for show updates and the occasional photo of my dog, Ellie. And there's, of course, the Allie on the Run show best running friends Facebook group. Those listener questions that I threw in there at the end of this episode, those came from that group. So come join the fun and uh, get your chance to chime in next time. Last few things, I swear. I have the June Patreon episode on deck with returning favorite guest Jenny Donnelly. She is such a joy, and this episode is exclusive for the Alley on the Run Patreon community. You can find that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Alley on the Run. Finally, big thanks to our sponsor, Aftershocks, for always being there for us. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for 15% off the wireless headphone of your choice. Remember... 
You've got this. You are doing great. And thanks for joining me on the run.